This is the Evergreen Empire. Green grow the forests and fair flow the streams. The gentle deer grazes, the wild blossom gleams. From ocean wave raging to mountain serene. All nature's proclaiming our land's evergreen. Welcome to Columbia Conversations. I'm Felix Bunnell, editor of Columbia Magazine for the Washington State Historical Society. On this episode, we speak with historian and author Julie McDonald Zander about her book, Washington Territory's Grand Lady, the story of Matilda Glover Kuntz Jackson, and the hardships and triumphs of life around here 150 years ago. She was too weak to portage around the um, Salilo Falls there on the Columbia River, and so she laid in the bottom of a canoe and shot the falls. I spoke with Julie McDonald Zander by phone from Oregon, where she was working on a research project. Julie McDonald Zander is our guest this month on Columbia Conversations, and she's the author of Washington Territory's Grand Lady, the story of Matilda Glover Kuntz Jackson. Now, uh, thanks for joining us. Now, is she a, really a grand lady? I think she is. I think that um, she's one of those quiet, gentle spirits, and she welcomed most uh, pioneers to the Puget Sound area in in the early eighteen you know eighteen forties, as uh, right there at the top of the Cowlitz Trail. And and I think a lot of people know that name Jackson because of the state park or the state heritage area. Right, right. The, they, the first uh, courthouse in Washington State was Jackson Courthouse, and it's still there. And uh, there's a you know, Jackson Highway. It's old 99. It's called Jackson Highway all the way through Lewis County. There's a Jackson Prairie, which is where, where they lived. And um, you'll see Mary's Corner. And there's also actually the Washington, there's a Washington State Park called Matilda Jackson State Park. And it was named after Matilda. And it, her daughter be, uh, donated the five acres for that park. And she was very smart because she said it had to be maintained as a way station. Otherwise, state parks might have sold it, but they can't sell it because the deed says it has to be maintained as a way station. So it sounds like in that part of Washington, in and around Centralia, the Jackson name is synonymous with all kinds of sort of local you know, settlement pioneer history. Who, who, right. who was the Jackson family? Well, John R. Jackson crossed the Oregon Trail in, uh, he was from, from England. He was born in England, but he crossed the Oregon Trail in 1844. And he actually came up the um, came up the Kellett's Trail, and he because he had a British accent, I think uh, McLaughlin was okay with him settling up north. So he came up north and started building a cabin there in the Highland area uh, before Michael T. Simmons even made it up there. Oh wait, so, so okay, so he's so he's of British descent. He's he's hasn't become a U.S. citizen at this point. Well, no, you know, in, in 1837 when he came over from England, he actually applied for citizenship in New York. So he did apply to be a naturalized citizen, but I kind of doubt that he um, mentioned that to John McLaughlin. And then and then actually he reapplied for citizenship again in the 1850s. So he was actually naturalized twice. Because this is the era where the British and the Americans are vying for control of the Oregon country. The British are thinking that they're going to get everything north of the Columbia. And right, the Americans right. are thinking, no, not necessarily. but. So that's why John McLaughlin, who's what, the chief factor at Fort Vancouver, he sort of right. gives a, a tacit approval for Jackson to settle in this area north of the Columbia. 
I, you know, I, I, that's, that's kind of a, what I think, because I, he discouraged most Americans from coming north of the Columbia River. Yeah. Michael T. Simmons and his party were among the first to do that. Other than that, it was French Canadians with the Hudson's Bay Company that, that lived up in our, Interesting. you know, Calais Prairie area. Interesting. Okay. So he, so he settles in there in the, what, what year did ja Jackson settle in Oregon He country? came across in 1844 and he started building that cabin in March of 1845. Wow, so that is that is very early in terms of very uh, early. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Huh. And so then, so then, his wife is who? Well, he was not married when he came across, and Matilda, Matilda was married when she came across in 1847. She crossed the Oregon Trail. She set out with her husband and four little boys, and they were between the ages of like three and eleven. Hmm. And then when they got to the um, Snake River, she was standing there on the banks, and one of the oxen got its. Uh, it's a horns tangled in a guy wire and her husband got into the snake river to untangle it and she said and i found it it was so great to find a diary at the oregon historical society where somebody was there and actually talked about what happened because he john james jory jr he wrote about what happened and she she warned him to be careful you know because he was going in to untangle that wire and um james jory described uh, nicholas as a jovial man and he said he recalled the last words that Nicholas said. He he laughed and he reassured his wife and he said, "If I was born to be drowned, I won't be hanged." He said, "And if born to be hanged, I'll never be drowned." And, and then he and then he drowned. It was so, really sad because oh, then he drowned and oh, Matilda was pregnant at the time oh, and the shock uh, caused her to go into premature labor and so she oh, lost her geez. husband and then the next day she loses her baby and she's left with four little boys and no husband and she's in the middle of you know she's thousands of miles you know from home and family so I, I remember when i first saw this about a dozen years ago i saw a little thing at the lewis county historical museum that said matilda um coons jackson had lost her husband on the oregon trail and was left with four little a widow with four kids and i thought wow what would you do yeah. and then between some of my personal history projects i decided to try to find out what you'd do yeah. And that's what led to this five-year project. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I didn't mean to laugh at the tragedy, but the way describing yeah. that husband, sort of making that what he thinks is sort of a smart remark, kind of making a joke, and then, I mean, there's there's that, I don't know if it's irony or absurdity or, or what it is, but it's just, oh, it's tragic regardless. It so. is, it is, and the fact that somebody wrote about, I mean, oh. it was in the, had, had recorded that moment in history was, you know, kind of providential because, yeah, I mean, he was a happy man, and he just said, oh, don't worry about it, basically, and you know, but what was the, you know, and the thing too, when I went to the Washington State um, Library, they had two boxes on the Jacksons, which was really nice. They mm. had a diary that he had written, but I found also in that, in that box, um, a diary that Nicholas Kutz had started writing before that, when they set out on the Oregon Trail in May. Wow. And it was just a one page diary, one page thing. And he was trying, I think he was telling the people that were coming behind him, his family members, you know, kind of about the trail. But when I held that in my hands to scan that, it was kind of sad because I knew that in September, this was in May and in September, he was going to be dead. Wow. And what what was it that, that either, that pushed them from their home or pulled them to the Oregon country? Do you know? Um, well, you know, they had had a lot of flooding there and crop, crop problems. I know with James Jory, he was up in Illinois. Um, the Kuntzes were in Missouri. Okay. Um, and there was um, cholera epidemic going on too. So he was really worried about his wife because he was newly married, James Jordan Jr. And so their whole family came out. 
I had to piece together Matilda's story from all these other diaries because she didn't leave a diary. And I found only one letter that she had written, but I was so glad that like there was a letter from her mom when she was out here, um, you know, about all about how hard it was now that all her kids were moving west and things like that. So I was I, I was glad to find James Jory's um, account. There was also a bishop of Walla Walla that was on there on the wagon train with them. So I found anybody who was on the James McGone's wagon train to try to get some information. And you you have a job. Your your business is sort of sifting through records like this, writing, helping people write their personal stories and organizations, right. put together histories yeah. and stuff. So how exactly did you stumble across Matilda Glover Kuntz Jackson? Well, I was I was volunteering and I was down at the Lewis County Historical Museum and I just happened to see this little 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 placard thing that said that Matilda Kuntz Jackson lost her husband on the Oregon Trail and was mm. left a widow with four little, you know, with children. And I thought, wow, what would you do in the middle of nowhere and within your family like that? And I had been driving past a Jackson Courthouse for years. I mean, we live about four miles from there. <laughs> and so in between some of my personal history projects, I had a lull and I thought, well, I maybe I can try and find out what happened to Matilda. So I, I went up to the Washington State Library and found, you know, treasures up there. That's great. And I spent quite a while, a week or two up there scanning all the diaries. And her granddaughter was very involved in the Washington State Historical Society in the early 1900s. Anna Kuntz, she was a Chehalis librarian. Hmm. And so she was very instrumental in saving us a lot of that information. Uh, but the sad thing is that Matilda, she was pregnant eight times. She had given birth to seven children that lived and but most of all of her direct descendants died out so there was nobody left to tell her story oh so all none of those kids had their own kids that survived or well yeah she lost you know i mean it's really sad because her um you know one her oldest son well when she moved out here during the indian wars um her 14 year old son had white swelling of the knee and she didn't go to the uh, blockhouses or the forts or anything for protection because he was too weak to move oh. so she stayed there and you know she said i can't move him so i'm not leaving and uh, but he died at 14 mm. and then her oldest son that made it through all the way across the Oregon trail he drowned in the cowlitz river oh. at 18 and then she um had three children two da da two daughters and a son with um jackson John Jackson and their youngest their son was named Andrew Jackson well they ran a little hotel there in the 1860s and 50s and a lot of the you know travelers would come and stay there and she would you know feed them and house them and she was known for her hospitality well there was a family that came that had a sick child and that child survived and was nursed back to health and left but her son Andrew at 10 years old got diphtheria and then he died Oh, boy. So she buried three of those sons, and then um, John Coons married Charlotte Simmons, which was Michael T. Simmons' daughter, <laughs> and they lived down there on Drew's Prairie, but, and they had four daughters. Well, two of, the, two of them never married. One of them married and had no children, and then the one that, you know, did marry and had children, there, one became a nun and stuff. So anyway, the descendants <laughs> just died out. Wow. And, and then her daughter, her daughter Louisa, uh, she and her husband never had children. And then Mary, um, her daughter Mary, married a man who had two children. So she had step-grandchildren okay. through them, the Greggs. And Dr. Kate Gregg was also very involved in um, early Washington State history, you know, preservation. 
and yeah, and so she was the step great step great granddaughter of Matilda. But so it, it sort yeah. of seems like there's sort of this all this almost like this quintessential element of kind of 19th century strife. I mean, this is sort of they I mean this woman Matilda Kuntz Jackson kind of lived the whole I mean the whole experience of going down the Oregon, cross the Oregon Trail, settling in what's now well, Washington she, and all yeah, these things. Yeah, she did, and she was so weak after, um, this was also really interesting because she was so weak after losing her baby um, and that she ended up, now the two granddaughters disagreed on whether she stayed at the Whitman Mission or not, but one said she did stay at the Whitman Mission and she left about three weeks before the, um, the Whitman Massacre. Oh, you're right. She said so, this was 1847, right? 1847. Okay. So she left in October, and that happened in November. Yeah. But she was too weak to portage around the um, Salilo Falls there on the Columbia River. Mm -hmm. And so she laid in the bottom of a canoe and shot the falls. Wow. She was too weak to go around it because it was like uh, you had to go portage around it. And so she didn't. So that was, to me, she seemed like a remarkable woman. Boy, no kidding. You know? Yeah, in 1847, yeah. politically, that's that last gasp before um, Oregon territory is created by the, you know, the, I know the, well, mm -hmm. the Treaty of 1846, I guess, had been signed, but they hadn't right. really, they, they drug their feet a little bit in terms of actually creating Oregon territory and, you know, making that part of the United States, which didn't, right. and the, the Whitman, the incident at the Whitman mission was one of the sort of Impetus, precip precipitating yeah. events for that. So she's there. Oh, that's, that's a really... That's kind of the last yeah. little gasp of, of pre-American Oregon country, I guess, is what I think Right, that is. and That's so she made amazing. it to Oregon City in, you know, the fall there, and then John Jackson came down to Oregon City for supplies in early 1848 and, you know, met this woman, this widow with four boys and probably looked at farm labor, <laughs> you know, future farm labor. <laughs> but um, anyway, they, they ended up marrying in May, so it was yeah. only, you know, six, eight months after her husband died. But what, you know, what else, what other options did a widow have? You know, her, one of her nephews that came out on the trail with her offered to take her back. Uh, but I, can you imagine trying to think about going back on yeah. that trail after losing your husband and jeopardizing your kids' lives? I don't know. She seems remarkable to me, just and, amazing. And in pouring through all the, the records, the papers available and the, the diaries and various things like that, and since, since she didn't leave a diary, what sense are you able to glean of her personality? You know, from what other people had said, and there were newspaper articles, she ended up living until 1901. And so she was 90 when she died. Hmm. And she saw so much, you know, so many things. And there were people that interviewed her um, in later years. And then there were also like Edward Huggins. You know, you know Edward Huggins, right? He, was, he, he wrote some articles for the Oregonian. They were published in the Oregonian. And he traveled between Fort Nisqually and Kellett's, uh, you know, the Kellett's Prairie Farm, the okay. Kellett's Farm. And he talked about the different people he saw there, including Eliza Saunders, who was pretty um, tight-fisted as far as feeding the travelers, and then talked <laughs> about the Jacksons. And then um, Isaac Stevens' wife, he, she wrote about staying there, and she wanted to stay there at the Jackson place because of the hospitality and the warmth. Huh. And um, she she described Matilda as a handsome woman, with, but with a, such a sad, sad face. And I remember that. And that was before she lost all these kids. Wow. So, yeah. And so I think what I've heard is that she never sat down. She was a really good housekeeper. She was an excellent cook. And she was always busy, you know, spinning wheel, you know, on the spinning wheel and darning and cooking and you know, all these things. And so she's all these things that, and she, I think she was a very quiet, um, gentle woman too.
And she also, her granddaughter said she read her Bible when she did at night, finally sat down. She read her Bible very, you know, she was just, she had to have had something to get her through all that pain. I don't know. Yeah. And is, is there something about her that is sort of, um, I don't know, I mean, in those years, every adult in Washington who wasn't a, a Native American had come from someplace else. And right. so there wasn't a, a single place that people came from. But did she come to kind of represent a, a sort of quintessential Oregon country, Washington Territory woman? I mean, is there something about her that's sort of like, can you point to things about her and say, like, she's, she's, she's part of Washington Territory because of these things? I think the resilience, the resilience is what I think she represented. And I, I think also a lot of the history in, in Washington State, but everywhere, is written about men because the men were the movers and the shakers. Her husband was the first sheriff, the first clerk, whatever. But so a lot of the history is written about the men, but really the women had a big part to play in the history of, of the settling of Oregon Territory. And um, it was nice to find some women who kept diaries. Her daughter, Louisa, kept the diary during one year. And yeah. so I was able to glean some information from that. I just, you know, when she passed away, there was newspaper articles all throughout the Northwest because a lot of, so many people knew her. And, you know, the headlines in those newspapers talked about, um, you know, I think they kind of referred to her as the grand lady. I'm trying to look and see. And, and did they know her because of this, because of being an innkeeper and sort of being in that one place for all those decades and just a lot of people kind of moved, passing through? Or why did they know her? Yeah, that was, um, I think, because she had seen so much um, information. The late Mrs. Matilda Jackson, Washington pioneer of 1847. Hmm. I think that just because um, they knew her through Jackson, but it was funny because there was a lot more information written about her when she passed than there was about John R. Jackson hmm. when he died. Um, I think it was they, they had interviewed her, and she was known as a, you know for her hospitality. She did entertain Ulysses S. Grant and... Uh, General, um, you know, Philip Sheridan and McClellan and, you know, all these people back before they were generals. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so she she was kind of well-known in the region, even though she was so quiet. And uh, the Morning Oregonian ran articles, um, you know, about her when she passed. It was just, I think it was a, kind of the end of an era. Yeah. Now, at one point, I took this to a writer's critique group when I started it, and uh, they said, uh, well, you need dialogue in there. Well, when she died in 1901, it's kind of hard to put some words in somebody's mouth. It becomes no longer nonfiction, but fiction. So I tried to write it as fiction. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but I kept sticking to the facts too much because her story's <laughs> never been told. So finally I went back and said, okay, I'm going to finish the nonfiction. Then if I want to write a fiction, I can do it. So yeah. that's part of why it took five years too, because <laughs> I went back and forth. <laughs> And I mean, it's clear to me, you, this, this is, I mean, it's not just this particular woman is a passion project. You clearly are jazzed about this kind of history and archives and that sort of thing. Why do you care about this stuff so much? Well, I think, um, I, I like to quote when I talk to people, I like to quote um, Rudyard Kipling because he says that um, if history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. And I think a lot of times people think history is boring, but if you actually read the stories, it's not boring at all. 
And I think, um, you know, especially if it's somebody you know, like your family members or your friends, it's just people say, oh, nobody wants to go. I didn't live a very exciting life. Nobody wants to read about me. But then you think about when you like to read about your grandparents, when you don't you wish they had left their stories. Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of why I love those stories. And I just, you know, I'm so honored when people open up and share their stories with me. I've done a lot of World War II veterans and it's just amazing to me. Yeah, I agree. It's just there's something you feel special when somebody tells you stuff that maybe they mm-hmm. haven't told somebody ever or in a long time and they haven't strung it together into a narrative the way they've done it. There is something you feel like sort of, it's like it's a magical, magical blessing when that happens, when it all come, when it all falls into place that way. Right, um, right, right. Now, I notice that the, the um, we're coming up on what will be the centennial of the cabin being restored and dedicated and turned into a state park, I think. Do you do you know much about that? Is there anything planned for the centennial? Well, you know, I don't know. I do know that um, the St. Helens Club, which was one of the women's federated clubs back, they formed in 1895. Wow. And the, the St. Helens Club restored that cabin initially. It was falling down and it was almost, it was almost destroyed. And Anna Kuntz, which is Matilda's granddaughter, was a member of the St. Helens Club. And um, so they started, they did a fundraiser and they raised money to restore that cabin in 19, let's see, 16, 15, 16. And then they dedicated it and rededicated it in 1922. And, you know, and so it's, it's nice because I, when I was asked to join the St. Helens Club, the only thing I knew about the St. Helens Club was that they restored that cabin. And that was enough reason for me to join them outside. <laughs> I thought, and so... I've been in that group for about six years, and it's very, it's it's neat that they did this because it's such a piece of history that we could so easily have lost. Yeah, I hope the centennial is observed here in a couple of years. It'd be a fun way to you know, just yeah, dust off just the old plaque. Yeah, they did restoration a year or so ago, and oh, they, they okay. did some more interior renovations then. And I just love the connection between, you know, the the Columbia and the Cowlitz and that whole old route, obviously before that, long before there were any roads or even any real passable trails that weren't you know, Native American trails, that notion of being able to get from Oregon City up the Columbia, up the Cowlitz, I mean, that's just like, that must have been quite a journey. Oh, yeah. And then the Cowlitz, the, the Cowlitz Trail, it's kind of nice. I don't know if you've gone down there, but there, if you go into the Lewis and Clark State Park, some of the campsites, you can still see some of the ruts from yeah. the wagons. Uh, in the campsites there at the Lewis and Clark State Park, the cool. narrow wagon wheel ruts. That's very cool. I love that stuff. How can people get a hold of your book? Well, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and things like that. It's also uh, available at the local, I mean, Book and Brush in Chehalis, the Lewis County Historical Museum. Terrific. It's, it's, I, I, I love Matilda's story. I just think her, I think her story is just amazing. And I, I admire that woman so much. And she was very humble. And what the thing that was is she crossed all this entire nation back in the time when it was so hard to do that. And then she never really left her house. Her <laughs> husband went to the legislature. He went up. I think he helped testify up in, uh, in uh, British Columbia, you know, when they were trying to get reparations for the Hudson's Bay Company and things from the that and mm. but she stayed home and she just took care of the place and i think she one time went over to winlock to see the railroad after the railroad came in but other than that she stayed home she stayed put i don't blame her <laughs> I, don't, I don't either after all that she went through all right listen julie mcdonald zander it's really nice speaking to you for columbia conversations and the book is called washington territory's grand lady the story of matilda glover kuntz jackson yes great thank you it's been nice to talk with you Thank you to Julie McDonald Zander for speaking with me for this episode of Columbia Conversations from the Washington State Historical Society. 
Her book, Washington Territory's Grand Lady, the story of Matilda Glover Kuntz Jackson, is available wherever books are sold. For more information about Columbia Magazine or to subscribe, please visit WashingtonHistory.org. I'm Felix Bunnell.